Strategic Hot Box with Dr. Brandy Love Stankovic. Discussing leadership, business, and how to take control of your life and achieve greatness. From the streets of Las Vegas, energized, informed, and never diluted. It's time to kick some ass. Hey, it's your girl, Dr. Brandy Stankovic, and you are here on the Strategic Hotbox. Welcome. Today, we are going to talk about Tribe Vibe. And what does that mean? What does it mean to have a crew, a home, all your homies around you? And we have a very special guest with us today, Philip Folsom, who is an expert in all things Tribe, and he's going to share some of the experience with us. Let's get started. At the Strategic Hotbox, you know that, and hopefully I have along the way, motivated you. I am a motivational speaker, and I cruise around the country, around the globe, motivating people. Let's be honest, sometimes I am more motivational than other times. I still have no ability to motivate the people in my home whatsoever in cleaning their room or putting their shoes on. Uh, My skills just do not work on my children. Uh, But I think that one of the most powerful things that I have learned along the way is no matter the group, the size, the shape, the color, the level within the organization, it all is about the execution, of course, when they get back into their institutions. And one of the most powerful things that they can do, that we can do to make execution easier is to have a team, a support network, a tribe, a, a crew, a, a entourage that supports us in that effort, in that execution. And I think that leveraging those abilities is so powerful. And our guest today uh, in one of his videos on his website, so I urge you to, as you learn more about him, to go check it out, says, a quote, uh, collaboration is a superpower of humanity. Collaboration is the superpower of humanity. And I love that because it's so true. Us working together, the synergy of it is so powerful. And it really is what allows us. We need each other in order to survive. Tribes in both the personal and the professional space give us the ability to focus, the drive, support us in what we do, the love. It's it's like almost that concept of failure to thrive. Um, for anybody that isn't familiar with that term, it's like when the baby is put on a mother's chest when it's very first born, or uh, the, the the idea that we need that. There's there's juices that are released, hormones released in the brain. We need that from from one another. We need people around us. But it also, I think that the the good vibes can also go the other way. There There are a lot of people that bond together, groups that bond together based on misery too, right? So that people might love one another because they doubt or they're negative or they're going to just all get together about their problems or something too. So we have to be careful of that. Um, I have been reading Michelle Obama's book recently, uh, Becoming, and it's great for anybody that, that is interested in it. But one thing she says when she was describing her first days on the college campus, Uh, Her dad took her to college and she was breaking up with her boyfriend and she was talking about this breakup and and her, her quote was, it was love in the context of the place I was leaving behind. And I thought that was so interesting and the fact, and it really stuck with me and I, I really pondered on that quote for the rest of the evening of the fact that that love or the relationships that we have in our life have to evolve 
because otherwise they're based in this context of places that we were in our past or experiences that we had in our past and they won't work as we progress into our future and so this the tribe philosophy also has to have an evolution to it and so I love this concept of not only do we bond do we need it do we have to have that collaboration it really is a superpower but it also is part of an evolution and we need to be able to love and evolve with the humans that are around us or be able to kind of trim the fat along the way. Uh, we're going to talk to Philip Folsom today. He's a cultural anthropologist and he's spreading the tribal word across the globe. And I want to formally introduce you to him now. He is the owner of Philip Folsom Programs. He's the co-founder of Humankind as well as the co-founder of the Sparta Project. He's got his bachelor's in cultural anthropology, UCLA, and he's an enthusiast of equestrian therapy, Zen archery, wolf programs, high challenge ropes courses. I mean, he's sounds amazing. I can't wait to spend some time with him. He's a retired professional ballet dancer, which I must dig into. Jiu-jitsu practitioner, <laughs> works with uh, Sony, Microsoft, DreamWorks, and Apple management teams, so really high-level teams, and has been on uh, worked with a lot of reality TV programs, The Biggest Loser, The Letter for Love or Money, Celebrity Fit Camp, and Cholo's Try. So let's now fo be formally welcome to Philip Folsom. Hello, Philip. Hello, Brandy. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Tell us about you. Oh, boy, you dug out my ballet background. Wow. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm actually an, an Army veteran. Wow. And uh, when I got out of the, the Army, I was in, going to a community college, and I intentionally had to uh, take a PE course where I was trying to recalibrate my life a little bit, and I took a ballet class because I needed that PE credit. And it turns out that the the ballet company uh, that was in the city I was living in was um, they were short a tall dancer because their prima ballerina, whose name was Rachel Ferrelli, on point, she was about six feet tall. Wow. So um, I was a terrible dancer, but I was able to be a good partner and I look good in tights at that time <laughs> in my life. And so I, I had this weird portion of my life where I traveled around the world as masquerading as a professional ballet dancer and so that's the story how cool is that first of all thank you for yeah. your service thank you and the did you ever get to do peter and the wolf as a ballet I, you know i did not i did a bunch of nutcrackers though did Jeez. you <laughs> i was hoping maybe because you know the wolf tribe so define oh, for uh, go ahead please no, I, I admit the, the wolf connection i got it yeah define for us tribe what does tribe mean to you you know, um, tribe is a, a formal uh, designation of a group of people that are uh, aligned on a singular vision. Usually they share kinship systems and mythology and belief systems. Um, I would define tribe as I use it in cultural anthropology with my clients as a group of people, whether that be a department or a, an organization, that are aligned uh, along a common vision, mission, and value set. And most, most, uh, corporate teams that I work with only have one of those. They, they either share what the mission is, or it's a bunch of people who have got together to celebrate a common vision. And if you only have one of those three things, you have a group. If you have two of those things in alignment, then you have a team. And if you are a rare, high-performing department or organization that shares all three of those alignment pieces, then you are a tribe. And they are the most high-performing and resilient human systems that we have ever had on the planet. 
And they really, it really then thus is creating its own culture. It is a stronger culture that way because it yep. has that shared system. Correct. And the, uh, it really is uh, the differentiation between our ancient tribe systems, which are honor-based cultures, which means the way that they view each other as an extension of themselves is vastly different than our current culture, which is a pride-based culture. And that's more me-focused. It's on my own identity, my own job title. And that's usually where the differentiation happens between low-performing organizations, which are all about individuals, versus ultra-high-performing teams, which recognize that there is a common collaborative group uh, pack hunting, if you will, mm -hmm. to pull in the wolves. Well, it's really interesting. And you travel all over the globe. So I imagine that you see some differentiation of that with different uh, country cultures of people that don't necessarily have as high individualism in their in their natural cultures. Yeah, I got to spend a, a portion of last year with the Maasai in Africa. And one of the things you notice uh, studying indigenous tr uh, mm -hmm. peoples is that there's no diabetes. Mm -hmm. uh, there's there's almost no heart disease, no cancer, no clinical anxiety and depression and very low suicide rates. And basically it comes down to the fact that when you are connected with a, a group of people that you share kinship with, and kinship, it, the word itself contains the word kind. Mm. So kinship is the way that um, you know we, we connect with our coworkers or our family, our neighborhood, and we treat our kinfolk with kindness. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it, it's the difference between receiving serotonin when I'm with my, my kinship right. people mm -hmm. versus, uh, you know, adrenaline, norepinephrine, and cortisol, which are stress hormones when I'm around strangers. Right. And I don't, uh, the, the, the Maasai may also be so fit because they jump so high, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, they're just beautiful people. They sure and they, are. They, they still wear the red sashes mm -hmm. and the men carry, you know, spears and little swords and they have cell phones. So it's this really <laughs> remarkable culture where right. they, they have kept their identity in place, yeah. uh, which has allowed them to actually actively navigate through some big changes in their culture where they're, you know, removing, removing the lion killing initiation for manhood because they can't kill their lions because it's going to affect their, you know, their commerce. Sure. And, and it's a, so culture or an intact culture allows people to be nimble, resilient, and be, and to evolve. Whereas uh, groups of people that don't share a culture, like you're seeing in the United States right now, we have a very hard time collaborating on a singular path and, and being able to evolve. I love that you are able to study these different tribes and how they exist in 2019 or in more modern day. I, I had the chance of visiting Kenya a few years ago and, and meet some of the Maasai, but I but I'm I'm there as an outsider and just don't have the chance to dig in. And so what a beautiful experience. Can you see some of the tribe mentality naturally occurring in in leadership in in kind of people's home home areas or in organizations? Yeah. Um, first of all, that the existing tribal um, cultures in our current society are the military, uh, our first responders, you know, our police and fire, uh, really professional sports teams, uh, Greek organizations, sororities and fraternities. And so they still maintain our tribal honor based uh, code. 
And, and that's why they're so important to study because people universally that were attached to some sort of a, a tribal uh, experience always refer back to that as the best times of their life, even if it was a bleak time, hmm. meaning um, a, a war or you know some other dark, challenging experience. They still refer back to that as that was a really, really vital time, and it's because of the people. Mm -hmm. uh, we are designed for uh, tribal connections, and they're very, very important to us. And so for particularly managers and leaders and the heads of culture of organizations, at some point there is this uh, movement, and it usually happens about age 40, when I see men and women who have fought their way up through the ranks of being individually extraordinary, uh, getting the best resume, the best jobs, the best performance. And then at some point, once you start moving from being a great doer into a great leader, you have to make a 90 degree pivot from my journey to the journey now of all of us. Mm. And that for a lot of people is a very, very hard thing to do, which is, you know, one of the needs of having a, a, a coach to help you navigate that because it's in a form of death. Like your, your identification of I'm the best, you know, doer of either sales or IT or, or video game design or whatever it is, mm -hmm. that, that identity has to, in many ways, die so it can be reborn as a collaborative, collective leader of people. And that's a challenging thing. Most, um, most people are promoted into leadership in their early 30s, yeah. and yet they receive no formal leadership until their early 40s. Right. And so that that 10 year chaotic, um, Time. oftentimes disaster for people's careers mm -hmm. is, is, uh, the, the sweet spot where we can do really good work with them. I think that's also why parenting is so hard. <laughs> oh yeah. Absolutely. Right? So you go from being you to now being responsible very, uh, uh, abruptly for these other lives that are around you. And, and, uh, you know, honestly, all the studies have shown that women have done it way better than men have mm. uh, because there's an initiation process that has to happen. And this is universal uh, as a species, not a cultural phenomenon. Mm -hmm. uh, so the transition from an adolescent psychology to a mature psychology um, literally involves the psychological death of the boy or the girl. Mm -hmm. And so women you know, transition into that in, in a much more seamless, organic way. And for men, we actually require some sort of a process where, you know, the, the older men take you out into the woods and they ritually scar you or they give you a tattoo or they knock a tooth out. Mm -hmm. And then they say, okay, that boy thing you used to do playing video games and partying, that's no longer your mm -hmm. identity. Mm -hmm. You are now a man and you have a new operating system. And that hasn't happened for a long time mm -hmm. in our, in mm -hmm. our society. So we have a lot of men who have, um, some profound inadequacy, abandonment, and imposter issues hmm. where we're, we're hoping not to be found out because hmm. we were never fully initiated as, as men. And, and that's part of the, the work that I do with a lot of my um, male clients is we, what, are the, what are the identity aspects of our behavior that you know, has to die so that the bigger piece can be born, the king, if you will.
Sure. Wow. I love this. This is so interesting to me. And I love the idea that because uh, equally as important is the the individual growth that I think needs to happen in, in, in somebody, at least in our Western culture or the United States culture of the, the individualism, that because of the accountability that's required. So a young person, and we're teaching my son who's, who's nine, to say, you need to be responsible for your universe right now. You have to know to get your homework done. I can't can't always be the one to tell you you have to clean up your room and so eventually he'll be the one to say i'm the master of my universe and forge his path and then at yeah. some point then has to say well there's more people in my universe than just me so it's it's like this balance of of going in and out of that that individualism absolutely and a lot of people are struggling in our kind of the pop culture world now about that quest for purpose like what is my purpose i need to have meaning that's my brand it's my identity in fact it's the number one driver of engagement right now in, in corporations is if you are a purpose-driven organization, that is the number one um, hook for onboarding people and attracting good talent and retaining them. Mm -hmm. And so purpose, whether it be at an organizational level or an individual career level, seems to be the holy grail right now for uh, you know team development. So how do you find your purpose, which that's that conversation you're having with your boy is, you know, can you take ownership and find some larger meaning in your life? And most young people, they have passions, but they don't understand how to take that individual passion, which is inherently me focused, my passion, how it makes me feel or my expression. How do I now translate that into a larger, um, you know, capital P purpose? Mm -hmm. And generally it involves connecting people to your passion. And uh, which is another way of saying service. Mm -hmm. That usually is the translation of uh, a purpose or meaning. And do you think, or, or it seems as if a lot of your work is around people uh, interacting, that really it's an integration of, of individuals. Can people then thus learn from the group? Is there is, is synergy really created? Uh, or can people that are loners, maybe that they pass that 40 mark and they're like, uh-oh, I better integrate back in? Yeah. Um, most men and uh, all the guys listening right now, if you remove sports, your job, and alcohol, uh, you probably don't have any friends. And and that's a, you know, that's a very uh, heavy concept to realize that um, – we desperately need friends. We're wired for friends. We have mirror neurons in our brains that allow us empathy and compassion. And yet we have profoundly isolated ourselves from each other. And it's an, it really is an evidence of the bleak nature of our society that it's really unsafe to be alone, to not be in a tribe. And yet our tribes are so dysfunctional and toxic that I'd rather choose to be alone. And, and, you know, the, we've been kind of taught a myth, a false mythology of uh, the Lone Ranger and Rambo and um, this kind of self-reliant, independent man. And, and the reality is that's not a, a realistic um, model. The, the truth about the lone wolf is that they're not howling to celebrate their freedom. They're howling because they're starving to death and they're desperately advertising for a, a local pack. Mm. And and so. You know, there's a famous quote in mythology that only gods and monsters live alone. Hmm. You know, uh, and, and obviously there's a distinction between isolation, which are so many of us veterans 
and men in general are experiencing, uh, and solitude, which is an intentional choice of being alone because you need to be able to um, shut down some of the distractions and variables in order to focus Fine on piece. a singular thing. Sure. But most uh, for most men that I know and work with, it's not it's not a a solitude quest. It's the fact that they don't know how to um, interact with each other. And a lot of that is fear-based. We're profoundly uncomfortable with each other. And that's a very uh, well-studied dynamic that, you know, we are should be afraid of people who are outside of our tribe, particularly other men who are outside of our tribe, because human beings are the scariest predator that the planet <laughs> Earth has ever seen. Yeah. And so when we are connecting with other strangers, particularly men, um, that causes a huge burst of cortisol and, and stress hormones in us. And when we are embedded in that dynamic for weeks and months and years and decades, eventually that leads to massive inflammation. And really it's the source of most of our diseases that we're experiencing as a, at a societal level. Uh Maybe unless they're uh, a ballerina in tights, then it's a little less <laughs> intimidating, right? Like it's just... Well, still, like you, you know what it's like to be uh, in an elevator, as an example. Oh, the, yes. The, 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 the With all the people, of, yeah, yeah, cramming in. It, yeah, that's, that is a, a, you can take a, a blood, you know, like a test your blood out of an elevator and you have just skyrocketing stress hormones. Because pressure, basically, yeah. you're, you're trapped in a little metal box with scary animals. And that's our, the nature of our society. And Krishnamurti has a great quote that says, uh, it is no measure of health to be well adapted to a profoundly sick society. And yeah. I think a lot of my work is to push back on that is uh, we can't change society and you can't change big organizations, but you can change departments. Mm -hmm. And those coworkers that are just my coworkers, they're more than that. Right. They are the people you spend most of your life with. You spend more time with your coworkers than you do with For your sure. husbands and wives and children. Right. So th those are not just coworkers. Those are your kinfolk. Sure. And instead of receiving cortisol, you should be receiving serotonin, serotonin yeah. and dopamine and, and joy and fulfillment <laughs> And that's my that's my job. And it's really interesting. And I think it goes beyond uh, men in the sense that it's all people that part of not only is why we create isolation, but it also is probably why we stay in unhealthy relationships to mm. maintain some sort of bond with somebody because or fear of being alone. Absolutely. And many times there's part of us that absolutely knows that to be isolated is is death. Uh, it triggers your amygdala with the same sort of cascade death response when people are, it's the source of shame. Why shame is so painful is that shame is kind of a behavior regulation dynamic with humans. And the regulation of it is you are no longer part of us. Whatever you're doing or wearing or being is not accepted. And so you are going to be removed from the tribe. And that's such a terrifying um, proposition for people that you'll do almost anything to avoid that again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why your boy is, um, when you go to school, shame is so painful. It's sure. worse than bullying. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so can you share a funny story of your journeys and lessons? And A funny story? Um, okay. My, one of my um, kind of metaphors that I use with 
uh, my clients is, and, and I live here in, in uh, Los Angeles, I live in Venice Beach, so we see seagulls flying around all the time. And I, and I say, you know, to my clients who work here, you know, like at Red Bull and SpaceX, like, has anybody seen any seagulls today? And they go, like, yeah, I've seen seagulls, big, big gray and white birds. And I go, well, you've never seen any baby seagulls, have you? And they go, no, I haven't. And I, so it's a metaphor for um, the answers are easy to every question, particularly with technology today. It's the questions that are hard. Can you ask the right questions? And so that's the kind of metaphor. And then my follow-up question is, and do you know what, oh, the answer to the, to the um, seagull question is, they're, they're, seagulls are born on nests out on the Channel Islands, um, out, off oh, of Los right, Angeles, uh-huh. and then they fly over. Like and so my follow-up, my follow-up <laughs> question is, why don't the seagulls fly over the bay? And the answer is, Mom. I don't know. Because then they'd be bagels. <laughs> That's like the ultimate dad joke, right there. Yes. But I did, you I did giggle, point. kind of. You're, you're like, I don't typically laugh at dad jokes, so. <laughs> uh, right. uh, what I had at the minute. <laughs> I thought for sure when you said seagull that uh, I was going to hear something about pooping on a shoulder or you know something to that effect. But uh, uh, we've had we have a, when you're dealing with wolves, you're dealing with a lot of wolf poop. So. <laughs> I imagine so. Not always funny. <laughs> so what is a takeaway or a bold action item that people can walk away with? Mm. Uh, it is to find your tribe. This is this is a big one. Uh, you cannot define yourself as an individual. You have to start looking at um, what are the people who are uh, living the same vision you are, or living the same mission that are operating by the same value set. These are the most important things because once you've got that um, tribal connection with a community or a really intact uh, work team, then all of a sudden you're going to um, start realizing you don't have enough days. You don't have enough hours to do the things that you want to do. And that, that elevation of purpose is, uh, just a game changer as opposed to people who are just counting down the the days to the weekend and then desperately waiting for Coachella. Like (laughs) that's not a successful life path. And, and that's a really, really uh, important thing. And, and you can see it when you work with the wolves, they, they are absolutely fulfilled. They're in the moment and they're healthy with each other. They don't carry toxic loads of resentment or stress because they have, uh, healthy ways of expressing conflict with each other and they don't bite each other. And that's, that's one of these big lessons that we're so afraid of each other and, and the wolves that we don't ever uh, have the opportunity to be honest, authentic. We don't even give each other feedback, for example. And we, we certainly don't hold each other accountable because the conflict is too frightening for us. Mm-hmm. And so the wolves carry, that's, that's one of the big lessons that, uh, that my clients walk away with from experience out in the, out the, at the sanctuary. Thank you so much. How can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more? Uh, you can go to FolsomTribeWork.com and you can get on that website. And gentlemen, if you're interested in uh, exploring some of the masculine archetypes or you know hacking into your birthright as men, uh, K4Men.com. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for being a part of the Strategic Hotbox today. I love chatting with you. It was really nice to meet you as well. Great. Good Good luck and, um, and take care of that boy. <laughs> I will. Thank you. Let's head out to our shout out. All right, Strategic Hotbox, I already got my end this morning. You go get yours. Kick ass. Thank you so much to Ryan Stankovic for the awesome shout out. How perfect is that shout out considering the conversation we just had with Philip Folsom? He got his this morning. It's time for us to go get ours. Thank you again to Philip and thank you to Ryan for being a part of the episode today. It is time for our top five kick ass. Number one is to identify your tribe. Philip said it best, find your tribe. Find the people that you identify with, where you can share those, that mission, vision, values, where you have that shared sense of purpose, you're going after it, and the people around you that are supporting you in the efforts that you're going after. Number two is to collaborate. It is a superpower after all, and how we can work together to make the things and our dreams and everything come true. Number three is to integrate. So it's not only about competency. And I think this is so true in organizations. It's so true in your life and the things that whatever you choose to do, whatever the efforts are that when you get up in the morning, whatever it is that you want to do, it's not just about competency. It's about actually leaning in and doing something. It's about contribution. So integrate into the things that you're doing. Number four is to feed the pack. So I think this is an important concept. It's about giving back. So not just take from the pack, not just be a part of the pack, but how are you feeding into it? How are you making the pack better because of your presence, because of you being a part of it? And number five is to evolve. Just as I talked about before, that this, the tribe and you as part of that tribe evolve together. It's about creating a life and a future with one another. That's your top five kick-ass. Thank you again to Philip for being a part of the Strategic Hotbox today. We'd love to hear from you, our listeners, watchers, about what topics you'd like us to cover here on the Hotbox. Or if you'd like to join us and be here in the hot seat with me or on Skype, we'd love to have you be a part. Send us an email, podcast at strategichotbox.com, or hit us up on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Strategic Hotbox, or at Brandy Love, B-R-A-N-D-I-L-U-V. I'd love to hear hear from you. And as always, do something different with your life starting today. Get out there and kick some ass.